0: All right. Welcome to the Interesting People I Know podcast. Today's kind of funny because I mean, I think I'm interesting. I'm interviewing myself really. I'm just going to talk today, uh, and it's a, a real experiment. So I'll have to get feedback from you all on what you think of this format. Um, I don't even know what to expect, but I think it's going to be pretty cool, uh, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Um, I hope everyone out there is doing well. I've just noticed, and I think maybe it's as we get older, um, Me being 50, and some of you maybe being up there or not. Hopefully, I have some younger listeners too, and some older ones. I feel like, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now, and um, a lot of people I know well or not are going through trauma um, and just things happening. And I think as we get older, I guess it becomes more common because we either have aging parents or people our age, um, you know, get sick. um, And it's just, you know, it can be really scary. And so I feel like, a lot of people are going through hard times and even with the way our country and our world is, I mean, just looking at the like the Amazon fires and the state of our nation in a lot of ways and how divided it is, um, I feel like there's a lot of fear out there and understandably so because the world can seem like a scary place if the lungs of the world, the Amazon are on fire and people are, you know, openly expressing hate to one another and, you um, People are getting ill and um, people are homeless and, you know, people are in war-torn countries and trying to flee. So there's all sorts of things happening that, you know, are scary. So there's understandably fear. And I think I wanted to share with you some of the times in my life when I was in so much fear um, that I thought I would never survive it but yet I'm still here. So obviously, um, there is surviving. And to me now, there's also thriving, which I'm so thankful for. So this episode's really, as much as it sounds like a downer, I- I'm putting it out there for myself and for you in hopes that you'll find some comfort in it, some hope in it. There will be maybe some um, commiseration, as it were, in it, like you'll feel some empathy and, and um, you'll know that you're not alone. And that there is another side, you can come out the other side of pretty much anything. And I'm not saying that um, I haven't had certain advantages, um, whether they be financial or, um, I'm you know, support from other people. But I just wanted you to know that even when it seems really scary, um, you know, there is hope and there is another side. You can come out the other side stronger and happier. And I'm just, you know, really full of gratitude for being able to go through these fearsome experiences uh, when I thought I just couldn't survive them and now be able to talk to you about them and and hopefully provide some comfort. So I'm going to start um, with – and again, I want to say, too, that um, in the past, you know, when I was younger, I used to tell some of these stories, especially the one about my mom um, – I was definitely hurting and, and needing help, but also, you know, there was an attention seeking part of it, I think, too, when I was younger, because um, it was just so scary, and I wanted someone to pay attention to me and help me through it, but at the same time, it set me apart in kind of a weird way that was uncomfortable a lot, um, but also, you know, I could get attention, the attention I wasn't getting at home um, around it, so I just want you to know that now as a more mature me, hopefully, um, five decades <laughs> into my life, is that like two score and 10 years? Um, you know these the, these stories don't define me. I mean, I definitely have moved through them, and they've made me me. But this these aren't my sob stories. I'm a happy person that's optimistic, um, and really thankful. So I just want to put that out there as kind of a caveat. So, um, I think the first and probably the most elemental, baseline fear I've ever felt, and it's it's really colored my life in a lot of ways until. More recently, is the the loss of my mother. And um, I'm gonna tell the story, not for like shock value, but just to kind of let you know how scary this was for me. And you can imagine, um, especially just as a person, but especially if you're a mother, you know what this would be like for like a four and a half year old child to go through. So um, I'm gonna start with that. So, I guess as a background, my mom, um, and again, I didn't really know her Uh, because I was so young when she passed. But anecdotally, and of course, people speak hopefully kindly of the people who have passed in our lives. But I just know from reading, you know, her letters to people and from talking to people who knew her that she was super loved. She was really a loving, kind, um, brilliant um, woman. She worked um, actually, in advertising and marketing, uh, which I wouldn't find out till my dad told me when I was like 21 and got my first job. So that's how much you know he liked to talk about it, because I think he was so devastated. Um, but she was just a super bright light, and I think um, it m- gives me comfort knowing that. But also, I think it makes it you know um, a greater loss for for everyone. And um, so she was my mom, and um, she. I was four and a half, and we were living here um, in Newport Beach, and she wasn't feeling well uh, one morning when she woke up, and so she called in sick to work at the Irvine Company um, where she was doing marketing and PR, Um, and she just felt like she had the flu. This is, again, what people have told me, but all I know is that I was home, didn't have to go to preschool that day or daycare. I was home with mom. Um, She was tired midday and and said she was going to take a nap. And so we were in my room, and I had like a little TV in my room. Um, And so, you know, she said she was gonna lay down on my bed, and I was just gonna play with my dolls. And um, at some point, I just remember kind of thinking, this has been a long time, I'm kind of bored, I want to wake mommy up. And, um, you know, I went over to the bed, and um, I said, mommy, and I was kind of talking at her to get her up like, mom, you know, I'm bored, wake up. And she wasn't responding. And so I started to kind of like shake her body with my little hand and, um, and she still wasn't responding. And then it was like she must have thrown up, you know, in her sleep um, and it started to come out her nose and I was like, I knew it was wrong. And so I was like getting really scared and I'm like, you know, screaming for her to wake up and she wouldn't respond and she wasn't um, like really making any like sounds or anything like choking or gagging or anything. And it was just, you know, as a kid, you just know when something's wrong. So I was shaking her, trying to pull her off the bed. And she was six feet tall. So as a little four and a half year old kid, that wasn't, you know, easy. Um, and so I just started to lose it and um, was like running around the house screaming. And there was no 911. But I do remember because I'd watched, you know, a lot of television. I was a smart kid, you know, that like you could call somebody, but I didn't know how to do that. So I'm like getting out the phone book and like just tearing through it with no real meaning or agenda, just not knowing what to do. And so, um, but not thinking to even leave the house because I just, you know, I wasn't allowed to leave the house by myself when I'm that age and mommy's here and I just, you know, I was so freaked out. So um, after the freaking out part, I just ended up sitting in my room with her um, and she was obviously already had passed, and I think I had just gone catatonic. Um, and then I think you know I was there for five or six hours um, with her like that. And then there was a knock at the door, um, and I went downstairs and opened it, and it was the babysitter for the night. I guess my mom and dad were supposed to go out that night, and my dad was work, worked in L.A. He commuted to L.A. from Orange County every day, and. Um, I just told the babysitter, something's wrong with mom. And can I have a glass of orange juice is what they said I said. Because at that point, I think I was really in a different headspace. And I just remember sitting on the stairs. And then there was a lot of commotion and rushing me out of the house and to a neighbor's. And that was that. Um, And so, you know, from there, um, you know, I just remember, you know, drawing a picture to go into her casket. Um, And again, it was surreal because, I mean, I think you don't know how to process death yet, you know, when you're not yet five and, you know, and she was her being gone and me being super despondent and sad and grieving and going to therapists and playing with dolls to get my emotions out. I do remember some of those kind of vignettes and like, you know, you don't, I mean, you're just a kid, you don't know. And, um, my dad, you know, was understandably like just heartbroken and already had been a drinker. So he kind of like just sank into his own depression and, alcoholism and um, I'm an only child. So um it was just like really lonely and quiet in the house. And I I did I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast I've had some nannies live in nannies and um they were like loving women. But just like no one I mean no one's your mom and they weren't my mom and um my mom's family and my dad's family didn't really rally. Um so it was just like a really scary time when I just thought I mean as a little kid you don't think about your own mortality. <clears throat> Although you know, I think I've, because of that, I've always had a really good sense that, um, you know, I was mortal because my mom passed away and it was really wrong. And so, um, you know, I was always fearful of being lonely, being alone, not having someone to take care of me. Um, you know, and then being the weird kid and being fearful that like, because I didn't have a mom, like other people wouldn't want to play with me because it was scary and coming over to my house wasn't really that fun. And, um, You know, and for me, I was always, I I think I did develop an early sense of my mortality because I was just like fearful of everything. Like, I don't want to ski because I might fall down and die. Same thing with roller skating. I mean, just really out of bounds fears, I think, because no one really helped me deal with my mom's death and no one really talked about it, uh, including my dad, and talked about her. And so it was just like a really lonely, I just didn't like being at home. I didn't like, you know dark rooms. I didn't, you know, and she had passed away in my room. So I had to switch rooms and that was really an upheaval. But of course, I didn't want to stay in that room. So it was just like a really lonely, scary, you know, place as a kid. And um, I think, you know, I was, again, just became a fearful kid, Uh, which I don't think, you know, now that I see myself as, you know, an adult that's worked through a lot of things, I'm like, I think the last thing I am is fearful. I think I'm a pretty brave out there person. Um, so it definitely changed me. And I think growing up, um, and I've made allusions to it in joking ways on the podcast about, you know, mother daughter teas and other mother daughter activities and clubs and places where your mom's supposed to be, or I would idolize other people's moms that were stay at home moms and home after school. And I would just want to be there even tangentially, like getting that kind of love from someone else. And, um, You know, to me, it's like, it it was super sad. And I didn't, I mean, I, I kind of, I think I didn't have the conscious thought that I wouldn't live through it. But I think the way I was acting, you know, throughout my childhood, gives me a sense looking back that I, you know, I just, it, it didn't seem survivable, or if it did, it seemed survivable in a really broken way. And I'm not going to lie to you that I still, you know, grieve it even though it's been 45 years. Um, and at milestones and I talked about this in the last podcast with my college roommate Stacy who lost her husband is, that, you know, that person's not there. Um and, you know, so for, you know, engagements or even dating, dating advice, you know, talking to your mom about your boyfriend, your first boyfriend, um going to dances, getting into college, moving into college, you know, graduating from college. Um getting that first job, getting engaged, getting married, having your first child. Um, I didn't have my mom for any of it. And that's, you know, a deep wound. And I think it always was, you know, there was a rooted in fear piece of it that, you know, is her fate my fate? Am I going to die young? And, um, you know, that's something that I think, you know, was with me for a long time. And as a matter of fact, it kind of goes into the the next thing I thought I would not survive, and that's having obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I'm not talking about like wanting things to be neat in my house, because anyone that comes over will know that I don't have. It doesn't manifest in that way, unfortunately, maybe for me. Um, but all joking aside, you know, I do have clinical obsessive compulsive disorder that wasn't diagnosed till I was much older, which sucks because I lived with it for so long, and it was so harrowing um, for myself and for people around me. Um, I wish I'd, you know, gotten it dealt with earlier, but just no one was there to really have the insider help me, um, until I was older and could help myself more. But, you know, I think, um, manifesting out of the fear, um, and sadness of my mom passing and and my life feeling so out of control after that with, you know, again, and I wasn't privileged. I wasn't on the street. I was fed. I was clothed, um, you know, but uh, there just wasn't like a lot of like love expressed in my house or communication um, or like real care given um, or nurturing that, um, you know, I really had to fend for myself and things did feel out of control because I even, you know, I was a smart kid, I knew that at five, I shouldn't have to be fending for myself. Um, and I knew that, you know, um, you know, at nine, I shouldn't have to be, you know, fending for myself and, and all those years and, and, you know, in high school, just, you know, again, fending for myself and making sure I got the classes I needed. And, you know, you could argue that um, I did learn a lot of life skills. and I did, but it's just so nice now being a parent and seeing the flip side, like you do want someone to mentor and guide you through those times. And um, there was just no one there. So things always felt really out of control. And with my dad, you know, kind of sinking more into workaholism and alcoholism, um, that felt weird because I knew I couldn't rely on him. And so I just didn't have any go-to people. Um, and I had a stepmom for a while, as those of you who know me know. And she was just like super emotionally abusive and had her own issues. So she wasn't a go-to. And actually, she was more of an enemy because she would, you know, try to to do things that would either get me in trouble or make me feel bad about myself or um, further divide me from, from my dad. So, you know, my OCD, I started to get um, – and it wasn't until I was maybe a, like a teenager, um, young teen, that I started to really start worrying about getting illnesses and diseases and dying. And I know that, you know, now having read up on it, it was because I was worried about repeating my mom's fate, even though her passing, um, and I should say that here, because it was like a whole coroner's inquest, and it was, seemed really weird, and she was young and healthy, and she's 35. Um, and it turns out that she either just stroked out, um as just like you know um a wild kind of you know out of the nowhere out of the blue incident or um she had been taking some kind of like diet shots like a fen, fen precursor and that might have made her stroke out as we've seen with fenfen fen. back in the day it made people have strokes um so you know there wasn't any like hereditary component to it but i had this like irrational fear of passing away and dying young and so as a teen, you know, that started to grip me. And um, I think the most convenient thing that it could land on was it was like an 81 was one and I can tell you this because I remember the Time Magazine article about what they called grid then gay related immunodeficiency, I think it was but it was like the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. And so to me, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, this is something that they don't know how you can get at the time. Um, And it kills you and it's mysterious and there's no treatment. I'm like, it was the perfect thing for my OCD brain to land on. So I just started obsessing about getting what is now, you know, HIV AIDS. And, um, of course I'm like a, you know, 13, 14 year old girl living in Orange County in the suburbs, um, not sexually active yet, you know, and, um, like, how am I going to get it? Right. And then there's like, you know, um, the kid, and I forget, I think it's last, I don't remember Ryan's last name, but there was a kid that got it from like going to a dentist in Florida. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that's going to be me. And so I just started to develop these really weird fears of like, you know, being at church and they were gay men at my church and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're taking communion from the same chalice. I'm going to get AIDS. Like, and I just literally would go to church like on Sunday, come home, wash my hands with Comet for like an hour until they bled Um, because I was worried I'd touch somebody. Or like when I started driving and I had a friend working in Laguna, she's like, will you drive me to Laguna? And I'm like, there are a lot of gay people in Laguna. Like, I can't drive you to Laguna. I mean, the weirdest, and again, it sounds insane. It is insane. Your brain's kind of taken over by this, you know, mental illness. And you just, it's almost like this, it is this obsessive thinking and rumination. And for me, instead of being neat, it was more about getting sick. So I would just Obsess about it constantly and do these weird things like washing my hands with Comet, avoid certain situations. Um, I mean, I definitely think it kept me from having a ton of sex when I was a teenager um, because I was scared of getting AIDS. You know, I still had sex and it was protected, but, you know, I was still worried about it the whole time. I mean, I couldn't even enjoy the sex because I was like, am I going to get AIDS? Even though I'm like having sex with like a virgin, you know, it's like crazy stuff. And, um, You know, and then, you know, we moved to San Francisco after um, my, um, you know, then boyfriend and future, you know, husband, first husband, and I moved to San Francisco after I graduated UCLA. And of course, you know, we knew people that were dying. And for me, it was like excruciating because I loved these people, but I had a hard time even touching or hugging them because I was so fearful. And that's just so messed up and so counter to my personality. But it was just had a hold on me and I, I can't describe what it's like to... You know, like have a good portion of your day every day consumed by thoughts of dying, having a, de- a deadly illness, um, and not being able to live your life. Uh, even though it, you, you're you a smart person, you know it's not rational. You're going to therapists maybe you t- from time to time that tell you it's not rational, but no one's putting me on meds. You know, it's like – and it was just – I thought I would never live a life without feeling like I was dying every day. Um and, you know, I don't like, and for people that are listening to this, that may currently have an illness they're struggling with, it, it might piss you off. It would probably piss me off. Like, cause I wasn't really dealing with a real illness, but yet it was a mental illness that I was fighting and it just felt like I was all in. And, um, you know, I even go to the free clinic in Laguna, like to keep getting, you know, AIDS tests. And at some point, they just told me to stop coming, because I was a burden on the system. They're like, you don't have any risk factors, you're taking up time and space for people that need it, you know, and, but I just couldn't, I couldn't stop it. Um, And then, you know, when I was, um, even when as a young, like, maybe like in my early 30s, when I was pregnant with my first child, um, I was still in the throes of it. And I thought, you know, then it was like all these other things like um, that I could possibly get because i would aged into other illnesses, right, as a possibility. So it's like, am I going to get breast cancer? Am I going to get, you know, God forbid, ovarian cancer, like the cancers that, you know, then I started to kind of obsess about the cancers that, you know, are hard to detect. I'm like, oh, those, Once again, it's perfect for an OCD hypochondriac, uh, hypochondriac um, someone with hypochondriasis to be like, you know, oh, that's a perfect illness for me to worry about because it's like hard to detect and you may have it and not know it forever and then it's going to just kill you overnight, just like my mom, right? So I was worried about that and I'm sure I drove my then husband crazy because I would just be like working so hard all day and just try to kill it at work, then come home and just be like catatonic and like think I'm dying, Um, you know, and then I would even get x-rays. I mean, when I had Liam in my belly, pregnant with him, um... I made the doctors give me x-rays and biopsies and like MRIs that like aren't even safe for the baby. I mean, and I would force them to do it and they would have to do it because they would be worried about malpractice if God forbid I was right. So I ended up spending like, you know, I think my medical bills, needless medical bills um, for needless MRIs and biopsies got to be like 25000 30000 a year um, in expenditures and and I would see omens and like weird bugs showing up on the lawn. Like that was like the death bug. I mean, I'm telling you. And people that knew me at the time, I mean, I guess if you really knew me, I didn't, I didn't let very many people in except for my then husband and therapist. But um, people would have, I think, not guessed that I was going through that because I was super highly functioning, running my own business um, and doing everything, quote unquote, right. But it was just, I mean, like I said, um, and again, I'm so blessed to not have you know, had any of this stuff. Really happen as far as illnesses. Um, and I've walked with my friends alongside them as they've had actual real cancers and things that they have um, thankfully recovered from. And it's just like, you know, I feel like I can't believe I put myself through that needlessly um, when pe- real people are suffering from real things. But it was, it was, it felt really real to me. And that was a period of, you know, 15, almost 20 years until I got medicated. And again, I thought I would never live through that. I thought I would never get over the fear of dying and feeling like I'm dying every day Um, and that I would never live a quote-unquote normal life where I would have a calm moment, a relaxed moment, a truly happy moment without some shadow of loss, grief, death, fear. And um, it took a lot of eventual therapy and the meds, which have been just a huge blessing, to get me over that. And I think – you know once again it's it's so weird to live that kind of a life and think that you're just always going to live that way and you can't see you can't see past it and then when you get through it and past it and you look back you know it's sad you're sad that you let the fear consume you and sometimes again like i'm saying i don't want to denigrate mental illness cuz it's a huge issue and it seems real right but for people that really live in fear like that are syrian refugees or people with chronic cancers or um, children with, you know, life-threatening illnesses. Like, you know, again, I would, I give them all the love and the credit in the world because they're going through actual, real things they haven't invented, and they have to get through those, and they do somehow, you know. And so we're really resilient beings. But I think it just helps to know that even when you're in the throes of it, just know that there is a light, there is a way out, and when you come out the other side, although you're sad about what you lived through and whatever turns out like, or looks like in the time, or in the aftermath, you know, you can survive. And and now, yeah, and you can thrive. Um, and I, I think that, you know, again, that blew my mind when I came out the other side of OCD. Um, and I think, you know, having my kids really helped me too, because, um, you know, when you have kids, or anything you love, like, more than yourself or outside yourself, truly really passionate about it can be a creative endeavor, you know, children, pets, other people, obviously, family, friends, a partner. Um, It just gives you more of a focus and sets things in in perspective. And I think with my kids, I'm like, I don't have time to pretend like I'm dying every day. Um, I need to live for these kids. I need to be present for these kids and love these kids and take care of these kids. And they really saved my life. Um, And having kids also, um, you know, helped heal me from my mom's passing and there's still moments of course when I miss her and talking about her makes me miss her in this moment. Um, even though I'm not sure what to miss cause I didn't get to know her, but I just miss, I just miss the opportunity to get to know her, to have her. But I think, you know, having kids has been so healing cause now I can see what a love, what the love of a mother is really like and how good it feels and how much she must've loved me. And I'm tearing up cause it's just, it's very poignant and beautiful. And so having kids, um, for me has been the most healing, amazing opportunity and journey, um, ever. And so, you know, coming out the other side of all this, um, and then I think, you know, I, I, have a few other things that to me have been so scary that I thought I wouldn't survive. And one of them was divorce. And, um, for anyone that's been through it, um, the loss of a spouse is completely different, as Stacy had discussed last week. So, I hope you listen to that podcast and and get her wisdom, or the week before last, rather. But um, divorce is a really scary thing, too, especially. Um, and I think this is pretty common, not just for people like me who have been through early loss, and and you know, it's another abandonment. So it digs up the old wound and reopens it for examination and experiencing. But it just feels really sad. I mean, especially when you have kids, you know, too, you've got a life together. And I remember, um, this was just, you know, I don't know, four or five years back, um, when my ex husband told me he was done. And um, I was just, i had been holding on to that marriage for so long, probably a good 10 years longer than I should have. And, and that to me is another, you know, living your life in a fear based way. As I have, and for good reason, but still, like, I would hope that I would have cast it off earlier, but it was just a struggle. Um, you know, I ended up marrying someone that um, I did love, but probably, you know, in hindsight, and I mean, definitely in hindsight, wasn't a healthy match for me. Um, and I think, you know, it was a matter of getting married. Um, there was, of course, love, and I don't want to, to belittle and denigrate, you know, that. And I'm so blessed to have my two children, I would never trade it. Um, But to me, you know, I ended up marrying someone I shouldn't for fear. You know, I knew early on in the relationship there were some big red flags. I had a lot of codependency. He played into all that, um, unwittingly, mostly, Um, and it just wasn't a good fit. But I did it based out of fear. You know, will anyone ever else want to marry me? Will anyone else love me? He's he's what I know. It's like the evil, you know, he's not evil, but you know what I mean. It's like you're comfortable with, okay, like you buy, you know, if you've been in your house for a certain amount of time, just like me, and I'm fixing my pipes, at least I know what's underneath, right? And I think sometimes in a relationship, it feels safer to know than to go into the unknown. Um, But I married someone that wasn't a fit for me, again, based on mostly fear um, and, uh, you know, fear of abandonment and control, you know, wanting to control something and, You know, I think even though the marriage wasn't great, um, it was what I knew, and there was love there, and we had these two beautiful children that, you know, when he finally called it, which now I'm thankful for because I never would have called it as, you know, a codependent fear-based person, um, it was devastating, and I thought, this is the end again. I mean, here's another time when my life's going to end, and I'm just waiting, you know, for it to end and to curl up. Um, and die pretty much, and I just thought no one else is going to love me, um, even though he didn't really love me anymore. So I wasn't even getting the love that I, you know, wanted or deserved. But you know, at least I was getting something. I mean, he was physically there, and, and for me, I was thought, well, I can live the rest of my life with a man that's like physically sometimes there, you know, and that's it. I, I don't need more. And that's a sad statement, but that's kind of where I'd gotten because it just seemed too scary to think about the option of going out into the world without a husband. Or a partner, either trying to find another one and not finding one, either finding someone who was again not right, or living the rest of life of my life by myself. And again, you know, you you know, most people would argue when they hear someone talking like this that well, you got to get healthy and you know be fine with yourself. And of course, that's the answer, but it's scary. And I think a lot of people can identify with the feelings of like, you know, especially in your late forties as a woman, um whose body's been through the ringer <laughs> from childbirth, but also for me abusing it, you know, from a diet and eating disorder perspective, um, you know, like, is anyone going to find me attractive? Is anyone going to love me? I mean, I'm, you know, warts and all, you know, I'm healed a lot, but I'm still kind of different. And, um, you know, and so I thought, you know, my life was over again in that moment. And um, I just remember those days of just sitting And not being able to eat, which is very unlike me, Um, and sitting with friends and um, a few friends in particular, who's um, as a couple, even uh, this friend um, couple of mine just took me in, and thank God for them because I wouldn't have made it through this first, you know, months without their help. Um, But I thought I was gonna die. And I, you know, and again, it sounds so, it is so selfish to sit there and, and think that when nothing's really wrong. And I mean, you're going through grief of a relationship and a life and, but luckily, once again, I had, you know, family support and I, or friend support. I don't really have, a, I mean, I have a family, but it's my nuclear, you know, family at home. Um, no extended family. Um, and, you know, my kids to live for. Um, and it was excruciatingly hard um, and I the people that worked with me at the time I think were worried about my sanity and me just being able to to pull through um and it was so painful it was such a felt like such a rejection and abandonment and um, I know that people listening who have been through divorce have I'm sure at some level felt that way and they just don't think you're gonna find someone else and you know you may never I don't know feel that feeling and you know, you're not that old in your late 40s to think that, you know, there's not a lot of life ahead, hopefully, unless you have OCD and you're hypochondriac, which I'm not anymore, I'm recovered. Um, so you just want something. So I think going through divorce was really scary and uncharted. And um, I'm thankful that I, you know, had my business because I think that would have added another layer is the financial unknown, I think would be very scary. I'm very blessed to not have to have worried about that just because I, you know, i um, had created this business that you know I'm thankful has been successful, but I can't imagine that additional layer of not knowing how to make it work financially, <clears throat> um, you know, for yourself and your family. So that was just a really scary time, and I think um, I really had to lean into it. And there were a lot of um, lonely nights and tears and um, self pity <laughs> and um, and other things to move through. But you know, once again. Um, Once I let the fear go, and it's hard, um, but I think I'd had practice in letting fear go. I mean, I had, you know, been working for 40 some years on the grieving my mother, which is, you know, still ongoing sometimes, but largely worked through. Um, I'd been, you know, practicing letting fear go with my OCD and with the help of meds and um, friends that put up with my craziness um, and therapy. I'd learned how to let that fear go. And so I think when the divorce came around, I was much more prepared. I had more muscle, um, to be optimistic and hopeful, but again, still super frightening, still thought I would just be like a spinster, um, and lonely with, you know, my animals. Hopefully my kids wouldn't, you know, be sick of me by then and, and my work. And again, that's a, that can be a rich life too, but it's not what I wanted. And so once I let the fear go and kind of just really leaned into it, um, you know, it felt a lot more peaceful. And I remember feeling like the absence of stress with having, you know, my husband gone from the house because when, you when you're in a bad relationship, it's just like walking on eggshells and it feels stressful every day. And and um, when he wasn't there anymore, it felt a lot more peaceful. And if I let myself feel the peace and didn't let the quiet feel scary, um, it actually felt good in moments. And I surprised myself. And then I think because of that, I was ready to meet and again... I've been, I had a super, people might say, hearing these stories, it doesn't sound like a very lucky life, you know? Um, and again, I've had, you know, financial advantages and not had to worry about, and I've had, you know, success with um, my career and I've had, you know, the blessings of, you know, good friends and um, wonderful children. And now a husband that actually like, now I see what love's supposed to be about in a healthy marriage because he's completely healthy emotionally and it's been transformative. but So I've had a lot of blessings. But I mean, a lot of people would say, well, your life count sounds kind of unlucky, Carrie, actually. Um, And, you know, I would say, I mean, yes, some bad things happened. And I've learned a lot. But I feel really blessed to have learned those lessons. Um, And I'm really thankful to have come out the other side now. And now at 50, um, I feel like I'm finally living like my true you know, full life. And um, to me, that seems really magical. And I wake up every day in a place of gratitude. And I'm not trying to sound Pollyanna, because everyone knows I can be snarky. And I have a sarcastic sense of humor. But I'm, you know, ultimately optimistic. And I think that now I'm getting back to the kid that I probably was gonna be. um, If my mom hadn't passed, you know, I think I'm um, like living more out loud, I'm speaking my truth, I'm doing things that I love. I think I'm learning how to like really trust people and let people in, so I can have deep friendships and not worry about you know being judged as weird or being abandoned by people. Um, I'm loving my kids like I never did before, and I feel you know somewhat sad about um, how unpresent I was when they were really little because I was still de- dealing with the OCD and dealing with an unhealthy marriage for so many of those years and um, and my husband's you know stuff that, you know, I wasn't really there, but now I feel like I'm making up for lost time and really being able to love on them and see them and be present and reaping the rewards of what life can be. And I'm super thankful that I get this opportunity at 50 and hopefully for a long time to live life in this way, which feels amazing. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that, you know, through those experiences I mentioned before, um, I just never thought I would, would live a life like this. I really thought that I was destined to just be different, weird, sad, alone, um, and struggling. And again, I don't want that to sound, um, like self-indulgent or self-pitying. Maybe it is, but I think, um, you know, to me it was real and, um, there were hard things to move through. And so, you know, to me, as I sit here now, um, And there, you know, I'm not going to say like every day is perfect. And, and, you you know, people that know me have known that, you know, my son, my oldest has been on a journey through losing his best friend and like person in the world to like a senseless murder, hate crime. Um, And he's been through the ringer and now is um, transitioning from female to male. And we're super excited. And he's doing great. I'm super thankful for that, you know, but that's also a path on a journey where it's uncharted. And as a parent, I worry for him and his happiness and safety in the world. And, you know, so I'm not saying things are always easy. But to me, everything now is like just a real opportunity to flex my muscles of staying out of fear, staying in love, staying in hope, um, and positivity. And again, I'm not perfect. I fall down all the time. But I think my set point now Um, my weight set points, a different issue, as you know, we've been talking about that. But even there, um, I feel like I'm so so much more accepting and loving of myself than I ever have been. And so this is the time when, you know, it feels really good. And I'm super thankful. And I think, you know, my message in a really long form, because I don't know how long I've talked today. And if you've already tuned out, maybe I don't blame you. But um, my message is that, you know, moving out of fear, no matter where you're at, And however you do it, whether it's through support of loved ones, whether it's through a therapist, whether it's through looking inward, whether it's through prayer and faith, whether it's through sheer dint of, you know, spirit, it's like moving out of the fearful place into the place of hope and gratitude is the way to go. And again, I know I'm saying this from, you know, Newport Beach, and I'm saying this from being in a not in a war torn land, and I'm saying this from having a roof over my head. And I'm saying this from, you know, knock on wood, you know, being healthy. And so um, there's a privilege there. But I think, you know, no matter where you're at, if you're able to hold on um, to some ray of light, some thread of hope, um, I'm just here to tell you that it's possible to make it to the other side and be so full of gratitude and just live a life that you just never, ever thought you could, would, deserved. Envisioned, um, and it's it's an amazing thing. And I'm also super thankful to be able to to talk to you all and do this self indulgent podcast, which is also a blessing and something I'm really passionate about. And I think you know if if we're all able to be less fear based um, and more in a place of love and acceptance of ourselves, of our situations, of other people, the world would just be such a better place. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but you know, to me. A lot of the stuff we're facing right now is is out of you know fear, and fear of like a of scarcity. There, there's not enough love in the world for everyone. There's not enough money in the world for everyone to have theirs. There's not enough food. Well, you know what? You know there is enough, and I think it's a matter of those of us who have more than we need sharing and it's and giving back in whatever ways we can. And it's a matter of changing your mindset. I think, you know, as more you know, I watch it even with the immigration issue. You know, people are, are fearful that immigrants will come into the country or have come in and they're taking our resources and, you know, filling up our schools and putting a burden on the healthcare system and taking our jobs. And I think, you know, when you look at the jobs that these hardworking immigrants are taking, multiple jobs usually, right, because they need to feed families, Um and you look at what they're giving to society and, and adding to diversity and the richness of our society there is enough for everyone i mean i'd argue that the people that think they've lose their think they've lose their jobs to immigrants really haven't they probably don't want those jobs and you know to me at some point there has to be some merit based you know aspect to society where you're working you know if you work hard you get to make it and have a job you know and if you're looking for a handout um as a citizen of this country, even like the, a non-immigrant, you know you should be looking inward and saying, why do I deserve a job just because I'm a citizen of this country versus someone that's coming in and working hard to get a job? So that's a whole nother podcast. But I, I think it illustrates the fact that there's always opportunity to live in a place of just non-fear acceptance and just believing in abundance, that there is enough for everyone. And if you do your part and they do their part, everyone's going to be taken care of um, and have what they need. And I think that goes, you know, same thing with love, you know, and, and the jealousies that I think sometimes when women, you know, pit themselves against each other because they're competing to get a guy like on, you know, the, the bachelor or, um, you know, or, or, or cutting other women down because they are jealous of how they look or their lives. You have to think about, you know, there's, they're not for everyone. There's not, you know, a finite amount of love out there. There's not a finite amount of success. There's not a finite amount of kindness. There's not a finite amount of beauty in all its forms. And so I think it's a matter of just resting in that, knowing you don't have to be scared and scrap for yours. You know, just accept, love, be kind. And there's an abundance of great things um, and life for everybody. And I've, you know, again, in different ways, I've learned that through this journey of mine. And I hope that you all will too. So, if anyone's feeling super fearful and scared right now, just know that um, there are a lot of people and energy, and whether you believe in God or Buddha or Mother Earth or goddesses or angels or spirit animals or just other people or yourself, just know that there's a lot of love coming your way and, and from me, especially no matter where you're at. Um, just know that I have been there in, a, in some way, shape, or form, and I'm just sending a lot of love. Um, and comfort and hope to everybody out there. And I'll look forward to talking to you next time.